there, welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week, we're back in the magic land of Harry Potter. And we are watching The Half-Blood Prince, the sixth movie in the Harry Potter series. We're getting there, guys. Slowly but surely, we're getting to the end. But uh, this movie was released in 2009. Directed once again by David Yates, who also did the previous movie. And it was written by Steve Cloves. That's right. The man is back. And Scott and I both had sort of mixed feelings on this movie. Indeed. But I think overall we both enjoyed it. Yeah, like, it, it's a good movie. Is it a great movie? Comparatively to the other Harry Potters? No. This is very much, I think, in the same category as Order of the Phoenix and, like, Goblet of Fire, where it's a good, solid movie, but there are issues... As far as like pacing and getting all the details out without it feeling like a lot of jumbled Michigas. <laughs> For the first half of the movie, I kept looking at Frankie going, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I think this movie had a similar problem to Goblet where there's a lot in the book that you have to kind of cram into this movie and their execution of that isn't always the best. There are parts in here that hit you harder than Goblet. Even if you think about the most hard-hitting point of Goblet of Fire, the end of this movie hits harder than that because if you haven't seen the movie, I'm spoiling it. I don't give a shit. Dumbledore dies and that's a... <gasps> you don't say. Yes, I know. And that's such a bigger point because we actually have spent every movie with Dumbledore. Right. Like, I will say the last 20 minutes of the movie made me like genuinely teary-eyed when Dumbledore was gone. I, I got a little emotional. This movie was nominated for one Oscar in 2010, and that was for cinematography. It's the only Harry Potter movie to ever be nominated for cinematography, which is a pretty fucking awesome feat. Our cinematographer is Bruce Delvonel, who worked on such films as Amelie, Across the Universe, and Inside Lewin Davis, which all, if you've seen any of those movies, have awesome cinematography. So we're in a good spot because this movie, it has a very distinct visual tone. Very different, I think, from any of the other movies up to this point. Yeah, it definitely is different. It looks great. But there are also times, I don't know if it was RTV or whatever, but there are times where this movie is really dark. Yeah, there were parts I couldn't 100% tell who was on screen. But I, I still do really appreciate the cinematography in this. It definitely sets the movie apart from the others and it gives it a more mature tone, which makes sense because Harry Potter kids, they're, they're growing up. They're sweet 16 now, Scott. And again, all angsty. Oh, yeah. You know how in Goblet of Fire we said, like, oh, it's Harry Potter and the Chamber of Hormones. That's basically what this is, too, although it does have a little bit of a more mature tone to it. Another thing I want to mention, too, just overall, I feel like the humor in this movie 
is uh, distinctly better than it has been previously. Def- like, I laughed out loud multiple times. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely some good jokes in there. So, yeah. Do you want to get into this bad boy? Yes, yeah, so let's get into the nitty and the gritty. Okay, so we start off with Harry in a little cafe flirting with a very nice muggle girl. And Dumbledore shows up. And he's like, you must come with me on this mission, Harry. I'm sorry to be a cock block, but we have to go right now. <laughs> and he holds out his arm to Harry. Harry takes his arm and they disapparate. Now, Scott had a problem <laughs> with this part. Yeah. Because they show the disapparating and it's a little discombobulating. <laughs> yeah. They do it a couple times in this movie, but here they hold on it for about five seconds. It's almost like you're inside a washing machine. Yeah, basically. And you're sitting there going like, oh, this makes my eyes hurt. It's dizzying. Dumbledore and Harry show up to this random house, and they're looking for a man named Slughorn. Professor Slughorn, to be exact. And Slughorn is played by Jim Broadbent, who I was very excited to see because he was in one of my favorite movies ever, Moulin Rouge, which we also did an episode on way back when. Scott really hated it. It was super fun. (laughs) They go into this house, Dumbledore and Harry, and they're looking for Slughorn. And he has disguised himself as a chair (laughs) to try to avoid Dumbledore because Dumbledore has been trying to no avail to get Slughorn to come back to Hogwarts to teach. Basically, Dumbledore brought Harry in an effort to manipulate the shit out of Slughorn because Slughorn also taught Harry's mother, Lily, and she apparently was one of his favorite students. He goes on and on about all these students that he had that went on to bigger, better things. Oh, yeah. He, he's a bit of a fame whore. Yes, absolutely. And Dumbledore tells Harry as much. He's going to try to collect you, Harry. You're famous and powerful, blah, blah, blah. So he eventually does agree to come back to Hogwarts. Dumbledore is very happy because he says it's imperative that Slughorn return to Hogwarts. We don't really know why yet, but we will. Don't you worry. After this, Harry goes to the burrow and he is reunited with the Weasleys and Hermione. And this is where we get our first little taste of Harry having a big old crush on Ginny Weasley. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They share a very cute hug with a little awkward pull away like, oh, sorry, perhaps that was too much. But we also learn that Ginny is currently dating one of Harry's classmates. So after this cute little reunion, we cut to yet another scene with Bellatrix Lestrange and her sister Narcissa, who just happens to be Draco Malfoy's mama. Bellatrix and Narcissa go to see Severus Snape. By the way, the name Narcissa, that's a terrible goddamn name. It's just... (laughs) dreadful oh no so they go to see snape and they have a conversation apparently voldemort has enlisted draco malfoy to do something we don't know what it is yet but his mom is very worried and she wants snape to look out for him while he's at hogwarts snape and bellatrix are arguing and bellatrix is like you should make an unbreakable vow because how do we know you're not really on dumbledore's side you know, you say you're a double agent, but are you really? Mur, mur, mur. So Snape and Narcissa lock arms 
and they do some magical hoodwinking and they make an unbreakable vow and in it Snape vows to protect Draco and if Draco can't complete the task that Voldemort has given him then Snape will do it and he agrees that will be important later. I have two questions in this. One I will bring up later. Okay. And the other I will bring up now. Okay. I'm I'm on board. Hit me. Where the fuck is Lucius Malfoy? In jail. He's in Azkaban. When did he get put in Azkaban? After everything that happened in the Ministry in the last movie. I thought he disappeared. No. Bellatrix escaped, but the rest of them got caught. Okay. So meanwhile, the Weasley kids, Harry, Hermione, they all go to visit Fred and George Weasley's joke shop, which they have now in Diagon Alley. And the only reason this scene is here is to mention love potions. Ding, ding, ding. Move on. Yes. The foreshadowing hammer shows up quite a bit in this movie, and this is just one of the many instances of it. We get lots of mentions of love potion in the movie because it will come up later. (laughs) So Harry, Ron, and Hermione are little trio supreme. They notice Draco in some alleyway looking very shifty they follow him as he enters a store called Borgen and Burks which is a very dark spoopy store they don't really know like what he's doing in there it's kind of all very vague and they can't hear anything but they notice him looking at a very interesting cabinet Harry is immediately very suspicious and he Immediately thinks that Draco has become a Death Eater, but Hermione and Ron are like, "No, what? Do, why would Voldemort make him a Death Eater? Oh. He's a he's a kid. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, he's just a kid, and kids are, aren't corruptible at all. And no, exactly. He, it's not like his father was a Death Eater. No, exactly. No. <laughs> so while they're on the train to Hogwarts, in the next scene, Harry ends up sneaking into Draco Malfoy's train car with him and his friends and he uses his invisibility cloak to hide and try to spy on him but uh, Draco quickly kind of figures it out and when they get to Hogwarts he waits for everybody to clear out and then he casts a spell on him to like freeze him kicks him in the fucking face breaks his nose covers him with the invisibility cloak and is like bye bitch and then leaves he's saved by Luna Lovegood Yes, Luna comes in, fixes his nose, and they walk up to Hogwarts together. We go into the Great Hall, where everyone's chowing down and having a grand old time, except for Hermione, who's very worried about Harry, but Ron is just sitting there next to her, stuffing his face. So we get one of the first really, like, laugh-out-loud funny lines in the movie. She's just sitting there, and she grabs a book and just hits Ron repeatedly, and she's like, Will you stop eating? Your best friend is missing. Turn around, you lunatic. Well, also that, and then Ginny also has a, like, why are you always covered in blood? But then Dumbledore has his typical first day of school speech, and he announces that Professor Slughorn will be teaching potions this year, which means that Defense Against the Dark Arts is an open slot. Who, whoever will be teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts? Severus Snape! Da, da, da. So Harry and Ron go to the potions class together and they end up having to borrow the potions textbook. So they go to the 
back of the room, open the closet, and there's one very old, tattered-looking book and one brand spanking new book. And they have a little funny moment where they just, like, jump at the books and start fighting over them. <laughs> and then um, Harry ends up getting the old, shitty-looking book. But it actually works out in his favor because as he opens the book, he realizes that there are some scribbled extra instructions to certain recipes in the margins. And instead of following the textbook versions of the potion recipes, he decides to follow the scribbled handwritten notes on the sides. When Slughorn gives the class an assignment, he says, oh, whoever makes the best potion gets a vial of liquid luck, which is basically just a vial of luckiness that you can down and have a... A, a lucky couple of hours. Yeah. Which, again, will come back later. Don't you worry. I was saying it's basically alcohol. <laughs> no, that's liquid courage, dear. Oh, sorry, sorry. sorry. Um, so Harry uses this textbook, which he does notice on the inside cover... It says, property of the Half-Blood Prince. Ah, ah, he said it! He said it! We gotta bring that joke back. Always. And <laughs> he follows the Half-Blood Prince's written instructions, and he ends up winning the Liquid Luck. So Harry cheats and gets away with it. Yes. I mean, kinda. I mean, it's not really cheating. He's just following instructions. But he's not following the instructions from the book. And also, why are the instructions from the book wrong they're not wrong. The written ones are just better. Hmm. But Harry, from this point forward, becomes pretty obsessed with this book. He's like looking at all the pages and he quickly becomes like the head bitch in charge in potions class, which pisses off Hermione extremely because she's the head bitch in charge at all times. <laughs> of every class. Exactly. Ever. She's like, don't you want to know who the half-blood prince is? How do you know you can even trust this book? And Harry goes, uh, it worked for me so far. I won the liquid luck. But after this, we get Harry going to Dumbledore's office for a meeting with him. And Dumbledore ends up showing him a memory through his pensive. Which, if you remember from one of our previous episodes, I mentioned this device. It's used essentially to kind of compartmentalize your memories and lay them out so you can watch them basically like a movie and he shows harry a memory of dumbledore's first meeting with voldemort as a child who obviously he wasn't known as voldemort then he was tom riddle but he had all the makings of a serial killer right then and there i like to hurt people hurt animals and cause damage yeah, yeah. The trifecta of a serial killer. Yeah, they weren't really being very subtle with it. They have young Tom Riddle as a creepy, scary, little, like, demon child <laughs> in an orphanage. Which is funny, because the Tom Riddle we saw in Chamber looked like a normal person. The well, th he looked like a normal kid. He just... It, I think it was just the, the cinematography and the hazy, dreamlike quality of the picture that makes it seem a little more eerie. Made him look demon-like. Which I do appreciate because it's, again, like, the cinematography in this movie is very distinct from all the other movies. So I do give that a lot of credit. But in this memory, you see Dumbledore telling Tom Riddle about Hogwarts and magic basically recruiting him to come to the school and lighting his wardrobe on fire yeah because dumbledore wants to prove that he's magical so he sets 
fucking Tom Riddle's closet on fire. <laughs> but after this, Dumbledore tells Harry that while Tom Riddle was at school, he became very close with Professor Slughorn. So he wants Harry to get close to Slughorn in order to gain his trust, to potentially get information from him about his relationship with Tom Riddle. You know, it's a good idea, again, because Slughorn is a fame whore, and of course, because Harry's doing so well in this potions class, Slughorn immediately is like, you're special, Harry. Why don't you uh, come to my dinner sometime? Ew, why did you say that with such a creepily, like, sexual <laughs> back undertone? We can have dinner anytime. Oh, Hermione, you're of course also invited, but we can have dinner anytime. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> After this, we get some Quidditch. Yay! Oh, yay. Quidditch is back. Harry is the Gryffindor team captain now. Uh, he's holding tryouts. And Ron actually ends up joining the team as a keeper with some help from Hermione, maybe, on the sidelines. Just a little bit of help. This is a thing, too. The hormonal aspect of this movie is not just delegated to Harry and Ginny. Ron and Hermione have their own little fucking drama throughout this movie. <laughs> Lack of communication. <laughs> Matters of the heart are difficult, Scott. Okay, they are complicated, uh -huh. especially when you are a teenager. Uh-huh. I don't know why you're being so negative, Nancy, toward it. You were once a teenager in love, weren't you? Hmm? Yes, and I made my move back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Well, I'm the one that made the first move, but let's not split hairs oh, yeah. here, let's, okay? Let's not let walk you home. No, 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 that wasn't the move. We were friends at that time. You mm -hmm. could have, you could walk me home any old okay, time. Yeah. I'm the one that told you I liked you. Uh-huh. If I didn't say that, who knows what would have happened? We'd probably both still be single and lonely and sad at this point, like 10 plus years later. You're welcome. And as Scott mentioned very creepily before, Slughorn invites Harry and Hermione to a dinner party where he invites all of the best students that he wants to quote unquote collect. I feel like the way I'm going through the plot so far, it seems like I'm jumping around a lot. And but like, I, the movie kind of does, but I feel like... It's not as bad as it may seem while we're talking about it. It's basically how the movie presents it to us. Yeah, it does. The pacing is good, I think, for the most part. It's just at certain times it kind of glosses over certain things that maybe should have been given more time to breathe and be explained a little more succinctly. But... Like, for example, the scene that we're getting to right now with our trio walking up the path out of Hogsmeade back to the school. And there are two girls walking in front of them. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one of the girls, Katie, starts screaming and gets thrust up into the air magically and just gets like thrown around and crashes to the floor and the kids notice that at her feet is a, a necklace wrapped in some paper and Hagrid comes up to pick her up and take her to get help this girl and he's like don't touch it it's probably cursed don't touch that necklace and 
it, it happens so fast that you're like, okay, what, what's happening now? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's a crazy fast thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's this cursed necklace. And, oh, my God, let's move on. And she was told that it was for Dumbledore and, like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, because after that, we get a little bit of a, a slower scene where we kind of explain what just happened. So McGonagall is in the room with the girl's friend that was walking with her as well as Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And she gets information from the friend. The friend says, oh, Katie went to the bathroom and then came out with this necklace in her hand saying she had to deliver it to Dumbledore. And then after she leaves, McGonagall says to the trio, we get another kind of hilarious line here. Scott really liked this one. Yes. She looks at them and she goes, Why is it when something happens, it is always you three? Believe me, Professor, I've been asking myself the same question for six years. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But McGonagall explains, like, yeah, for some reason, someone gave Katie this cursed necklace to give to Dumbledore. And Harry immediately accuses Draco. McGonagall kind of immediately rebuffs it, though, and is like, okay, whatever. After that, we cut to Slughorn's little dinner party. And... We get another little moment with uh, Harry clearly being very into Ginny. They're all sitting at this dinner table and Ginny comes in late and she's clearly been crying. And Hermione goes to her, oh, I, I think she just broke up with Dean. So Harry's like, ooh, they're, they're broken up. And then <laughs> like he's clearly giving her the eyes and shit. It's very cute. Harry kind of tries to cozy up to Slughorn but he clearly is kind of keeping him at arm's length a little bit. He also asks Hermione what her muggle parents do, and she goes, oh, they're dentists. Why does no one in the wizarding world know what dentists are? Did yeah, like, there's an awkward silence, and then she's like, oh, they fix people's teeth. And I'm like, does the wizarding world not have dentists? <laughs> well, do we go with the bad British stereotype? Or the explanation, oh, they're magic, they don't need dentists. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can magically just point at your teeth. Uh, fixo Reparo and your teeth are perfectly Does fine. Does that mean, though, that, like, no one in the Wizarding World has just, like, regular old, like, sickness? Like, they can just, like, magic it away? Oh, my... Like, does cancer exist in the Wizarding World? Oh, my God. We need... <laughs> we need uh, Hogwarts MD. <laughs> we, we have a whole new series following Madame Pomfrey around. <laughs> As she fixes people up, she goes, ah. Oh. That's two this week with broken fucking limbs from Quidditch. Jesus Christ. You can have like a Grey's Anatomy type drama at St. Mungo's Hospital. <laughs> now we get the first Quidditch game of the season. And we see Harry fake putting liquid luck into Ron's cup in the morning. Like, oh, I'm giving Ron a placebo. So Ron thinks it's all like good. Yeah, we basically get like a sitcom scenario for the next 10 minutes or so because Ron thinks that he has the liquid luck. So he has this like placebo effect where he thinks he's really lucky. He does really good at the game. Gryffindor wins and the team is celebrating in the common room later on. And we get a random weirdo girl student named Lavender Brown who up to this point has been a little obsessed with Ron. <laughs> she just jumps his bones and starts making out with him in front of everybody 
And this scene kind of made me sad because Hermione gets her little feelings hurt and she turns around and walks out because she can't handle looking at it. And I feel bad for her. Okay. They're not dating. But she loves him. That's true. She was at his house for three days without Harry. Could have said something then. She had all this time. Scott, when you are young and in love, <laughs> it can get very complicated. They're friends. They're like best friends. You know, you don't want to potentially ruin your friendship. Also, Hermione is very stubborn. Maybe she wants Ron to tell her okay, okay. how he feels about her. Still. She is the smartest witch of their time. She knows Ron is a fucking moron. We had this argument in Goblet of Fire. Like, don't save me for last, Ron. Just say it. And they got into a whole big fight then. Two years. Right. And he should have asked her to the dance then, okay? (laughs) Yes, but she should know he's an idiot. Hmm. Oh, Scott, you you don't understand matters of the womanly heart. God damn. So Hermione goes off very sullen. She's crying. It's it's sad. And Harry goes after her and they basically commiserate about their separate unrequited loves. Hermione's like, I know about how you feel about Ginny. I can see the way you look at her. Like, I know, bitch. And just as Harry is comforting her, fucking Ron and Lavender burst in with their fucking grossness (laughs) and Hermione ends up chasing him out of the room with birds she conjures up some birds that attack him (laughs) it's like birdemic all over again oh god (laughs) damn it uh but it's so fucking weird and she yeah she's smashing birds into doors you're like what the fuck is going on but yeah after that point Ron and Hermione are basically at odds for a while when we cut to Slughorn's Christmas party right before holiday break she asks some random fucking asshole that Ron hates to go with her to this party because she thinks it'll make Ron jealous but the main thing that we get out of this Christmas party is we get a little glimpse into what Draco's dealing with so throughout the movie uh, there's a couple of times where we see Draco going into the room of requirement which was in the Order of the Phoenix you remember it's basically a room that can just be anything you want if you dream it you can do it that kind of thing so he's in the room of requirement and hidden in that room there is a cabinet very similar to the one that we saw when he was in Borgen and Burks earlier in the movie Whoa, you mean they sold two of the same cabinet? That's insane. Who would do that? Damn it, Ikea. And, and we don't really know 100% like what he's doing with it. It's all very vague. That was one of the aspects of the movie that I thought was like really just kind of confusing sometimes because he, he didn't really know what the hell was going on. Yeah, he puts an apple in it, closes it, opens it up, the apples disappear, closes it again, opens it again, and the apple reappears with like a slice cut out of it. Yeah, it's it's weird. But we know that Draco is up to something. And it has something to do with this fucking cabinet. (laughs) And at the Christmas party, suddenly Draco shows up being dragged in by fucking Filch. Saying like, oh, this boy was stalking the halls after hours and he told me he was invited to this party. 
And Professor Snape, who's also at the party, is like, oh, don't worry about Draco. I'll take care of him. I'll get him out of here. Don't worry about it. And they just, like, shuffle off very quickly. But Harry, being Harry, he decides to follow them. And he overhears Snape and Draco arguing. It's all very vague. It's nothing specific. It's just Draco saying, like, I have to do this thing. It's, I have to do it. And Snape's like, I'll help you. He's like, I don't need your help. And they're just arguing about, like, very vague, evil-sounding things. Yeah, isn't this the point where they say the unbreakable vow? Oh, yes. They do mention the unbreakable vow, and that's how Harry discovers what that actually is. Yeah, and he starts telling Ron about it on the train going home for Christmas, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to Ron. He goes, what's this unbreakable vow thing? What if you break it? He goes, Ron goes, you die. (laughs) Of course you fucking do. (laughs) Then we get Christmas with the Weasleys, which is always a fun time. Christmas with the Weasleys. (laughs) It's Christmas. Imagine we just have like a a 70s style, like Christmas variety show special with the Weasleys. This isn't WandaVision. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking wish I loved WandaVision so much. Anyway, a bunch of members from the Order of the Phoenix are there at the borough for Christmas. And Harry mentions to Lupin and Tonks that Malfoy and Snape had this argument and he's very suspicious of him, blah, blah, blah. Lupin, like everybody else, is skeptical of it, says that he's blinded by his hatred for Malfoy. Yes, he's blinded by his hatred, but again, this is the son of a Death Eater who has been a dick for six years. That's Come true. On. No, it's true. Snape mentioned an unbreakable vow here. That's something to look into. There could be issues, because why would he make an unbreakable vow for Draco? Right. But Lupin's just like, well, if Dumbledore trusts him, then that's that should be enough. And it's like, okay, whatever. But Mr. Weasley tells Harry about uh, the vanishing cabinet, because apparently he investigated the cabinet, and the one from Borgen and Burks is still there. So... He's like, oh, well, nothing's happening with that cabinet because it's still there in the shop. So what could possibly be wrong there? <laughs> but a funny thing that I wanted to mention to you, and I don't know if you even noticed it. Did you notice that the relationship between Tonks and Lupin had evolved a little bit? Did you notice that she called him sweetheart? Yes, I did notice that. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was Tonks at first. Mm. Yeah, so they're together now. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, in the book, oh, it's the book. more of a, a thing. It's it's more of a, a subplot in the book. This is just kind of a throwaway thing, which is kind of a bummer because I like Lupin and Tonks. But in the book, it's built up more as like a mysterious subplot because you just see Tonks in a really bad state. She's like very emotionally withdrawn and sad and blah, blah, blah. And Harry at first thinks it's because of Sirius's death and everything. But we find out later that Tonks and Lupin have gotten together, but Lupin's been pushing her away because no, I'm too old for you. And no, I'm a werewolf. And she's like, I don't care. I love you. (laughs) It's very cute. But they kind of just throw it away in the movie, which is kind of a bummer. Well, we already have two relationship entanglements in this movie there, there are a lot of entanglements in this movie that's true we we co- a third one where we focus on two characters that have a grand total of five minutes of screen time 
<laughs> but they're so cute. I love them together. Okay, okay. I'll, I'm over it. I'm over it. <laughs> Get over it, Frankie. So, <laughs> back to the main romantic entanglement. Ginny and Harry are constantly flirting throughout this whole Christmas time. Oh, my at God. The Weasleys. Ron can't read the room. Oh, I know. At one point, he just like plops down right in between them on the couch. And it's like, Ron, get the fuck out of here. And then Ron goes to bed and Harry's standing outside of Ron's room. Ginny walks up to him and goes, is my brother asleep? Cause if That's he, fuck. Because <laughs> if he's asleep, you can open your Christmas present early. Ooh. But they have a cute moment where she ties his shoe for him and then they have an almost kiss. It's very awkward and cute. But then we get some peril because this is the Harry Potter franchise. So we can't go too long without our characters being in mortal peril. Bellatrix Lestrange shows up and attacks the burrow. And Harry quickly goes after her into the woods. Like an idiot. And Ginny goes after him. Like an idiot. They hold their own against her and the other Death Eaters that are there until sometime later when the Order members show up to help them out. They end up escaping the the Death Eaters and they go back to the burrow to find that it has been burned to the ground. Which is, it's really kind of a, a sad powerful moment because if you think about it the burrow has been a staple in the harry potter franchise in pretty much every movie you know it's it's the weasley's home obviously but it's also kind of harry's home away from home and it's it's just sad you just see molly weasley standing there just dumbfounded just staring at her home her family home burning to the ground we shall rebuild and if we rebuild they will come there will be more Weasleys than we can count. <laughs> we already have enough. <laughs> we have so many already. <laughs> there will be more. Weasleys multiply. Yeah, the Death Eaters gave up real quickly. Yeah, again, it just seemed like a very like rushed thing that was just put in there for peril. <laughs> peril for peril's sake. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh, okay, we're done. Okay, move on. <laughs> so after this, we go back to school. <laughs> And Dumbledore meets with Harry again to see another memory, a memory of Slughorns. And we get another little hazy dream sequence type situation. While we were watching this, there's Mm -hmm. a moment uh, where the audio quality dips in the memory. And I'm sitting there going like, why the fuck did they do that? That was a dumb fucking decision. (laughs) And immediately they cut to Dumbledore going, this memory has been altered. I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, okay. So in this memory, Slughorn is talking to a young Tom Riddle, who, as we've mentioned before, Slughorn's all about collecting the best kids in the land. And he has basically collected Tom Riddle. He's one of his star pupils. And we hear Tom Riddle asking slughorn about a very rare piece of magic and he says what it is but it cuts out like scott said so we don't know exactly what he's talking about and the memory ends with slughorn getting very offended and telling tom to get out of his office and dumbledore immediately tells harry like this is bullshit he altered his own memory because i think he's ashamed of what he did which okay A, how did you get this memory? And B, how did he alter his memory? 
There's weird things in the Harry Potter universe that I always want to go, okay, where did this come... Like, Dumbledore pulling his own memories out of his head? Okay, they're Dumbledore's memories. In the book, they explain that as Dumbledore has been going around to different people that have interacted with Tom Riddle over the years and getting memories from them. Like, in the book, they do more with the memories in regards to Voldemort's past as a child and his his family's past as well through other people's memories that he's just gotten like through interviewing different people so they don't explain it in the movie but they don't really need to I guess like certain things especially when you're in a world of magic you can just be like oh how did that happen oh magic you know what I mean? It's, uh, 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 it's, yeah. It's not, and I'm not saying it's right necessarily or the best way to do things, but I guess they figured certain things aren't as important to explain outright. Well, no, I, I get that. I understand that it's a movie. It's got to happen. But I'm just sitting there going like, what, did they hold Slughorn down? And he's like, no, I have to think of a different, I have to change my memory in my head while you rip it out of my head. But Dumbledore tells Harry he wants him to get the real memory from Slughorn. And that it's it's very important. Directly after this, we go into a series of events that... A series of unfortunate events? Well, yes, that's definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we get back to the love potion little foreshadowing hammer that we had before. Harry, he goes back to his room. He notices Ron sitting on his bed looking high as fuck. <laughs> Ah, and he's like what is wrong with you and he's like oh i found these candies on your bed and they made me feel all right all right all right (laughs) and i ate them and now i'm in love with ramil devane who by the way is not his fucking girlfriend he's fucking lavender brown no it's this other random chick who has been trying to dose harry yes she she was trying to dose harry with love potion because she really likes him so she tried to basically roofie him with potion candy, um, which there. is totally not concerning at all. It's fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> but um, Harry takes Ron to Slughorn because he's the potions teacher and he's like, I need you to help me with this. So they go into Slughorn's office. Slughorn makes a, a cure for Ron. He drinks it. All is well. You know what? For a good time like this, let's have some wine with yeah. these sixteen-year-old kids. Yeah, you know that's also totally fine and not weird. You know what? I was gonna save this wine for Dumbledore, but you know what? Let's just drink it anyway. Fuck it. Who cares? It's Dumbledore. He gets wine all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. So, Ron drinks the wine and immediately starts convulsing on the floor foaming at the mouth the <gasps> wine was poisoned and um harry i don't know if this translated in the movie no okay <laughs> <laughs> well then allow me to explain so because of his obsession with the half-blood prince's potion book and things that he's learned from that he remembered that he read in the book oh uh, a cure-all for poison is this object called a bazaar so harry looks through slughorn's drawers pulls out a bazaar shoves it in ron's mouth and he's cured he's still like pretty fucked up he has to go to the hospital and he's pretty out of it for a while but he's okay 
so I, I'm guessing that did not come across to you that he realized that he could save Ron because of the info he learned from the book. Not even a little bit. Yeah. So that That's an important detail because throughout the book, Harry is kind of struggling with like, is this book a good thing or a bad thing? That's one of the ticks in the good column. Like when he's arguing with Hermione about it all the live long day, he's like, well, if I didn't read that book then Ron would probably be dead right now because I was able to save him. So Ron's in the hospital. He's like out of it unconscious. Oh, yes. This is where we get another little dose of love drama. And Hermione's sitting there at his bedside. I love this scene. And his Ron's girlfriend comes storming in going, what are you doing here? She goes, I'm his girl friend. I am his friend who is a girl. And she goes, you, what do you mean? You haven't talked in weeks. You're not his friend. And then Ron just goes, Hermione? Yeah, he, uh, says, he says her name while he's all out of it. And Lavender, of course, is just shooketh to the core and storms out of the room. Everyone else leaves and Hermione just stays at his bedside. But at this point, Dumbledore exudes one of the fucking funniest lines in the movie <laughs> lavender runs out and he just goes oh to be young and to feel love's keen sting that's i like the humor in this movie that's definitely a positive for me yeah it, it, they have again a couple of where you're like okay that, that was good that was yeah good. definitely so after harry leaves ron's room he notices Draco once again being suspiciously suspicious Draco and he follows him into a bathroom where he is crying and I do like Draco's evolution throughout the series in the earlier movies he's just like cardboard cutout villain character but at least in this movie we get some real like motivation you know, we know that his his father's in prison. Voldemort's basically got a foot on his neck. You see him struggling, really struggling throughout this whole movie. It definitely rounds out his character and makes him more of a real person, which I appreciate. Actually, fun fact, Tom Felton, who plays Draco, won the MTV Movie Award the year this movie came out for Best Villain. Ah, which I think is well-deserved. Yeah, it's definitely a good feather in his cap. But Harry follows him into the bathroom and he accuses him of all of these wrongdoings that Harry thinks that he's done and a fight ensues. Up to this point, there have been a couple of times where Harry mentions this one specific spell that he saw in the margins of the Half-Blood Prince's book. And the spell is called Sectum Sempra. And in the book, I don't think it mentions it in the movie, but in the book, when he reads that spell, it says, like, in the margins, four enemies. So he knows that this is some kind of defensive spell. He doesn't know what it does. But when he gets to the bathroom and he's fighting with Draco, without thinking about it, really, he yells out, Sectum Sempra! And he hits Draco, and he walks up to him and notices that he is covered in blood, multiple it looks like he's been stabbed like 50 fucking times in the chest and harry just freaks out and runs away as snape comes in and quickly heals him up but it's just like holy shit like this moment even though he hates fucking draco he didn't want to kill him 
And if Snape hadn't shown up when he did, he would have fucking killed him. So this is the moment in the movie where he really kind of realizes like this book is not good. And he talks to his friends about it and they're like, we got to get rid of it. It is weird because, yeah, it does look like he got stabbed at least a couple times. It's so quick with Tom Felton being down on the floor and Snape getting in there. It almost was like too quick. And Yeah, I think that that was a thing that was too quick. And it's never mentioned again, like in not to be that person again, as always with me. But in the book, they do expand that scene a little more where after that moment, Snape heals Draco and then tells Harry, like, I want to see your backpack. I want to see all your books right now. Which is the first clue you get that, huh, spoiler alert, Snape is the Half-Blood Prince. What? Who am I saying that? Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Now we get the penultimate romantic entanglement scene with Harry and Ginny. They're in the room of requirement. She tells him to close his eyes so she can go hide the book. And he does just that. And I like how they did this framing wise where they have Harry just sitting there taking up half the frame with his eyes closed and then they just wait and then Ginny just comes into frame and kisses him. And it's very cute. Yeah, it's cute. It's completely different from the book, their first kiss, but this is fine. The good thing that came out of this is at least one of our romantic entanglements has been untangled now. That's good. (laughs) Now Ginny can tie his shoe whenever she wants. Yes. I like Ginny and Harry just fine in the movies. Like, they're okay. But I just... I don't think that Daniel Radcliffe and Bonnie Wright, who plays Ginny, have the best chemistry. Yeah, I guess it's... It's it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. But like, granted, I didn't think he really had chemistry with Cho Chang either. I don't know. I just... So you're just blaming Daniel Radcliffe? No, no, not at all. It's all Daniel Radcliffe's fault. Not at all. Daniel Radcliffe is a a very good actor and he's he's very handsome. His best chemistry is when he's a dead body in Swiss Army Man. Is that what you're saying, Frankie? I mean, him and Paul Dano did have great chemistry in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) But after all of that, we get Harry finally using his upstairs brain in regards to his actual mission to get the memory from Slughorn. Well, he got his downstairs brain taken care of so he could now use his upstairs brain. He relieved some stress to be able to use his upstairs brain. So he decides, hey, I have this vial of liquid luck that I've just been letting burn a hole in my pocket for like months now. Why don't I use that to help me get this memory I need from Slughorn? So... Harry takes the liquid luck. He's feeling great. He's feeling invincible. And Hermione's like, okay, you got to go talk to Slughorn. And Harry's like, I'm going to go down to Hagrid's. And they're like, wait, why? No. And he's like, no, I got a good feeling about Hagrid's, guys. It's going to be fine. <laughs> so he goes down to Hagrid's and he runs into Slughorn on the way, of course, because, you know, that's a lucky break. And we have like a funny moment here where he's, it's like, it's late at night. So like the kids aren't technically supposed to be out. So Slughorn is like, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to go see my friend Hagrid. Bye. And <laughs> Slughorn's like, Harry. Sir. 
It's just the way he says it is so funny. And he's like, I don't, what do you want? <laughs> and then um, he's like, all right, you know what? I will accompany you to go see your friend Hagrid. How about that? And they go to Hagrid's hut and he's out in the field and he just so happens to be coincidentally burying Aragog. Remember the giant fucking scary spider from who, the second movie? Who got a lot smaller. And honestly, I feel bad about this. Why? Because for Aragog, who only had it in the second movie, who was mistaken to be the beast in the Chamber of Secrets, mm-hmm. had such a big part in that fucking movie to go out like this where he's just like dead in the field on his back i get that aspect of it i thought it was kind of weird that they never mentioned it like it it was weird that he just so happened to be dead when they show up at hagrid's place like that to me was weird in the book they had mentioned aragog earlier on because hagrid had told the kids hey Aragog died of old age I have to bury him I don't want to do it alone he was my only friend (laughs) can you please come and the kids are like no (laughs) he almost fucking killed us fuck that damn spider (laughs) and then after that they end up going back to Hagrid's hut and Hagrid and Slughorn proceed to get shit faced. It's so funny. And Hagrid cannot handle his drink. No, we've established that in previous movies. He is a lightweight, which is hilarious because he's like a bajillion pounds and like 20 feet tall or whatever. Like, it's hilarious. But Hagrid passes the fuck out, and Harry basically guilts Slughorn into giving over his memory about Tom Riddle. He kind of uses Slughorn's connection to his mother. He's like, my mother's sacrificed her life to save me. She was the bravest woman. And you're spitting in her memory by not helping me. You need to be brave like my mother and give me the memory so I can fight Dumbledore. So I can fight Dumbledore. So I can fight Voldemort. So I can fight Dumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that guy. (laughs) Fuck him, man. Slughorn teary-eyed and drunk as fuck he gives over his memory to harry and immediately takes it to dumbledore and they look at the memory and this is where we learn about horcruxes simply to put it every time voldemort kills somebody he can split his soul and put it part of his soul into an inanimate object and dumbledore starts connecting dots that part of it was the book from the chamber of secrets yes Uh, and also he connects it to a ring that he has which they don't explain they they've showed dumbledore with the ring up to this point but they never explain what it is what connection it has to voldemort they explain in the book obviously but they don't explain in the movie so it makes it really confusing when he just brings up like oh this ring is also a fucking horcrux but in the book, they explain the ring is an old family heirloom of Voldemort's, and he used that as a horcrux. They just don't explain any of that, which I think is one of the biggest, like, what the fuck? Like, you just you can't just show up with this random object and be like, oh, this is a thing now. But in the memory, Voldemort slash Tom Riddle, he also mentions that he was interested in the idea of splitting his soul into seven. So making seven Horcruxes, Dumbledore tells Harry that he thinks he has found another of Voldemort's Horcruxes. 
and he wants Harry to come with him to retrieve it. But he also starts looking at Harry weird. Like, he's looking at him, and I asked Frankie, I'm like, does he know about Harry Potter? Being a Horcrux? Yes. Um, I haven't reread the seventh book yet, so I'm not 100% sure at this time. But I think if he doesn't know for sure, he suspects it. So either way, he, he has some inkling that Harry is a big piece of this thing. Because... It is later revealed that when Voldemort tried to kill Harry when he was a baby, he unwittingly made him into a Horcrux and put part of his soul into Harry. But we we have not technically gotten there yet, so this movie at at times is confusing enough, so let's just take it one step at a time. So we cut to the next scene with Harry going up to the Owlry to meet up with Dumbledore to go on this grand adventure. And he overhears a little conversation between Dumbledore and Snape. It's very vague, but basically Snape is telling Dumbledore, I I don't want to do this. I I don't want to do this. Has it ever occurred to you that I don't want to be a part of this anymore? And Dumbledore's like, tough titties. You got to do what I say. And that's basically the conversation. They, again, they separate to this mysterious island cave place where it this, seems like a lovely beachfront vacation area. <laughs> it, it definitely does. We're not really told where we are, but they have to navigate this cave to find this Horcrux. They get themselves into a boat, go over to this little pedestal where there's this random water that Dumbledore must drink because the Horcrux is in the water. They can't reach into the water to get it, but they have to drink it all to get the Horcrux. Yeah, this is all just like magical fuckery that Voldemort has set up to keep people at bay from getting to this Horcrux. So they come upon, like Scott said, a pedestal, and on the pedestal is a little basin of dark watery liquid, and someone has to drink it in order to get to the Horcrux that's at the bottom of the basin, which I guess is why Dumbledore brought Harry along because when Dumbledore drinks his potion he's just being tortured in complete misery and Harry basically has to force it down his throat in the book it's even more intense if you can believe it because he he tells Harry I want to die kill me kill me and Harry's like this will kill you just drink the last bit and it'll kill you (laughs) to get him to drink it that's nice it's pretty fucked up but it, it it works Dumbledore drinks the potion. He is significantly weaker after doing so, but he does it and he's okay. And inside this little river around them are a bunch of fucking zombies. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, that came out of basically nowhere. Harry starts trying to fight them off. He gets knocked into the water. And then Dumbledore goes all fucking Phoenix-like, shooting fire everywhere. Burn them all to the ground. Oh, yeah. Fire. The way you walk and talk really turns me on, yeah. Yeah, it says a lot about Dumbledore that even in a terrible, weakened state, he can still emit a fucking firestorm <laughs> in the middle of a fucking dark cave. They're able to get the Horcrux, which turns out to be Salazar Slytherin's locket. Ah. Yes. 
But when Harry and Dumbledore return to Hogwarts, they realize that there is something afoot. Afoot. Treachery. Villainy, in fact. Several Death Eaters have entered the school through the vanishing cabinet. Ah. Yes. So what had happened was the Death Eaters had gone through the cabinet in Borgen and Burke's and somehow found a pathway to the second cabinet, which was hiding in the Room of Requirement, meaning that a bunch of Death Eaters can just stroll into the fucking school and cause havoc. And they do. When Dumbledore and Harry get to the Owlry, Dumbledore tells Harry to hide. Run, you fool. And Draco shows up, and he's holding his wand at Dumbledore, and you realize, obviously... Draco's mission from Voldemort was to kill Dumbledore and Dumbledore and Draco are having a little combo. He immediately disarms Dumbledore, Draco, but Dumbledore's like, listen, I don't think you're a killer. I know you tried to poison me with that wine and curse me with that fucking necklace, but it was all kind of sloppy work. I don't think your heart was really in it. And Draco's like, I have to do this or he's gonna fucking kill me (laughs) and this is a great scene i think for tom felton in particular he really just sells the anguish that he's feeling uh yeah he does a great job with it he's kind of like shaking his arm you could tell like there's there's doubt in him dumbledore was like i knew a boy once who was in the same spot you are and made bad decisions but then the death eaters come in yes and they kind of try to egg Draco on to kill Dumbledore but Harry is hiding and he's about to intervene when Snape pops up behind him and tells him to stay quiet and he comes into the room with Draco and the Death Eaters and Dumbledore and Dumbledore just looks at Snape and says Severus please and without missing a beat Snape just looks at Dumbledore, whips out his wand, and says, Avada Kedavra! And Dumbledore goes flying out the fucking window. And Dumbledore's fucking dead, guys. <laughs> oh. I, I knew it was coming, and I still felt the intensity of the moment. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, so Dumbledore flies to the ground, and Snape and the Death Eaters leave after causing more havoc. With Draco. With Draco. And Harry follows them. Snape! He trusted you! He trusted you! Fight back! You coward, fight back! You son of a bitch! Harry goes to use the spell on Snape, and then Snape just fucking, like, backhands him with magic. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, how dare you try to use my own spells against me? That's right, Potter. I am the Half-Blood Prince! Mwahahahaha! <laughs> So now the Death Eaters are gone, we get this very, very somber, beautifully poignant scene where everyone at Hogwarts is gathered around Dumbledore's body and Harry comes up to him, kneels down beside him and just starts crying. Ginny comes up to him and tries to comfort him. And then McGonagall starts this beautiful wand light visual and everyone puts their wands up to the sky and emits this beautiful light over Dumbledore. And it's just so sad. This is where I got a little teary-eyed. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> but 
before all that happens, Harry Potter does pickpocket the locket off of Dumbledore's body. Ah, yes. He takes the Horcrux from, from Dumbledore. Which I was like, hey, that guy just stole that guy's wallet. Oh, yeah. That scene from Back to the Future. That guy, Yeah, that kind of made me laugh when you said that. But um, what was interesting, too, about that whole scene was that after probably one of the most beautiful moments in the whole franchise, it cuts to black over Dumbledore's body. And it kind of gives off a vibe like it's just going to end there, like it's going to come up end credits, kind of very Infinity War-esque, you know, but it doesn't. It gives you like a little bit of a, an epilogue scene. But I, I, if it did end there, just on Dumbledore being dead and no epilogue, I, I feel like that would have been more of a, 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 a strong Gut punch. scene to end on. Yeah, but um, they do have the epilogue. And we have our trio supreme, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and they're talking. Harry shows them the locket, the the Horcrux, and he reveals that it's actually fake. There was a message inside the locket from someone with the initials R.A.B. saying that this person stole the real Horcrux in an effort to destroy it. So na 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 na, and that's basically the note. But most importantly, the movie ends with the trio deciding they will forego their last year of Hogwarts in order to track down the remaining Horcruxes, and that's where we end the movie. And despite all the mishigas that's happened up to this point, certain confusing elements in the movie, I still really like this ending. I think it does a great job of getting you hyped for the next movie, and also it establishes for the audience that the next movie is going to be different from all the others because they're not going to be dealing with like school hijinks and da da da. No, like this is grown up shit. We're going out into the world and we're going to save some motherfuckers. What? I like the school hijinks. I like the romantic entanglements. (laughs) Why don't we have another Yule Ball? (laughs) But that was Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Scott, what are your overall thoughts on this movie and what did you rate it? Uh, my overall thoughts are, it was okay. Like it's 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 good, but it's not great. There are parts I enjoy. It's got some of the best humor of the series, but it's also a lot of things do feel like they're rushed. I definitely agree with you there. I, I feel like up to the fifth movie, the progression from whimsy kids movie to adults adventure drama type situation has been more gradual in this movie it kind of takes a plunge to a a whole other level which again as we've mentioned isn't all bad but it isn't all good either there's there's both sides of the coin in this movie for sure but yeah because certain things are so rushed Certain aspects of the movie are confusing. Certain details are kind of glossed over. So it just makes it seem like we're cramming a lot into a a tiny little tuna can. Yeah. (laughs) Phenomenal cosmic powers! I definitely put it on the same tier as Order of the Phoenix and Goblet of Fire. I I did rate it a 4 out of 5. I rated it a 3.5 out of 5. Yeah, so I can understand that. I think you'll like the last two movies better than this. I'm going to make that prediction okay. right now. 
But yeah, I'm ready for the epicness to continue because it only gets more epic from this point on. So I'm ready. I'm definitely interested. I'm I'm excited. It should be interesting to finish this out and actually see where it all kind of ends. Yeah, I, I'm pumped to watch the last two movies because I haven't seen them in a while and I'm curious to see them with a, a fresh set of eyes a more analytical perspective I'm excited but we won't be getting to that for about another month because next week we have a special guest yes we do we have a, a very special guest with us a horror movie expert yes so little hint as to what kind of movie we'll be watching until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our spooky, terrifying movie adventure. I am the Half Blood Prince. Oh no! <laughs>